Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Well, shalom, everyone. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi, and this is a study entitled Exegeting Galatians. It's a Messianic Jewish commentary that I wrote, and it is available online at www.tetzetorah.com. That's T E T Z E T O R A H.com. From the homepage, look at the very top of the page and click on the link that says Galatians Commentary. And then you can just scroll down and read on or click on whatever link you need to and uh, access the commentary there. It's also available in printed or available in PDF uh, format, which you can print out for ease. Let's date stamp this recording. Today or tonight is Tuesday, December 1st, 2015, and we are on week eight. Um, just to remind you, the commentary itself is about 122 pages long in written format. So that means we're just going to have to take it week by week until we finish. I'm not going to rush anyone. I'm not going to try and uh, squeeze everything into like, uh, you know, one month or two months, etc. So that means that we're just going to go until we're finished. But my schedule is going to look like this. We'll teach for 10 weeks. We'll meet for 10 weeks, that is. And then we'll take a break for two weeks. And then we'll meet for another 10 weeks. And then we'll take a break for 10 weeks. And we'll just keep going off and on, off and on like that until we finish with the study. So we're at week 8 tonight. And uh, that means we'll meet for next week and then the week after that. And then we'll take a two-week break. And I believe that'll push us right to the end of the year for the two-week break. It'll be perfect timing for the holidays um, since I know some of you probably will be traveling or having family in for the holidays and things like that. So the timing should be good. And then when we start the new year in 2016, we'll just start uh, with week, um, it'll actually be week 11 at that point in time. We'll start uh, meetings again. Again, we meet every Tuesday evening from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you're certainly welcome to come out and join us. There's still room in the virtual classroom. If you're listening to this study and it's after the fact, uh, please come and join us on Tuesday evenings if you can, okay? We'd love to have you come out. As a bonus, for those of you who join us live, I offer a 15-minute question-and-answer chat session at the end of each one-hour-long teaching. And that's available exclusively to those who join me by way of live internet. I don't record the Q&A session, so it's a, it's a treat only for those uh, those folks who are able to come out and join me live. Kind of pick the teacher's brain, as you will. So uh, I'd love to have you come out and join us. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll do some liturgy in Hebrew and in Greek, and then we'll jump into the study, okay? Let's pray. Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King. Lord, we say we love you tonight, and we say we are enthralled with your Son, Yeshua. We thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for sending your Spirit into our lives. We thank you for the promises that in Him Messiah are yes and amen. Father, we bless you tonight, and we say we want to be a people that is pleasing to you. For that reason, Father, we seek to study in order to do. Like Ezra said, we study in order to do, and then in order to teach. Father, we want to do what your word says. We want to put it inside of us and we want to walk it out. We want it to be a part of our lives. We want it to order our lives. We want it to govern our lives. Father, we know that you bless obedience. And so for that reason, we seek to be obedient to what you've told us to do. 
Yeshua, be with us tonight. Send your rule, Kakodesh, your Holy Spirit into our hearts to remind us of your words. For indeed, that's what you promised that you would do, that you would send the helper to remind us of your words. We need help as we study the text because we're unsure. We don't know all the, the meanings behind the, the, the sayings. We know that Paul was superintended by the Holy Spirit as he penned the words to the book of Galatians. And so we look to you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher, to be our guide, and to help us understand the text so that we can apply it to our lives. Forgive us where we fail you. Forgive us where we fall short. And continue to press us on forward and upward and higher in our calling in Messiah Yeshua. Thank you for this opportunity to meet. And I pray that you will be with each and every student tonight, Lord. I pray that you will unlock their minds to the understanding of the text. I pray that you will enlarge our capacity to uh, understand, to comprehend, and to retain what we learn. Uh, challenge us as uh, we um, leave the study. Challenge us to continue to press on, press through uh, the text on our own uh, in the days following each meeting. Uh, reading, seeking, searching the text, uh, seeking to know its understanding and to make an application for our lives. Uh, be with the teacher as well. He doesn't have all the answers. He needs a lot of help as well. And Lord, we'll be careful to praise you in all of these things. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. Okay, um, let's read some liturgy tonight. As I'm fond of doing, I'll read Hebrew liturgy and then I'll read Greek liturgy. Okay. Um, I think for my Hebrew liturgy, I'm going to read Genesis 17, and we'll read from verses 9 through verse, uh, we'll read from verse 9 through verse uh, 14. This is out of the NIV. I'm sorry, this is out of the ESV. It reads, quote, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now let's go back and read the... Uh, Let's read the Greek of that. Or I'm sorry, let's read the Hebrew of that. And let's scroll down to verse 9 and start there. The Hebrew reads, I'm starting right over here on the right side of the page. The Hebrew reads, Vayomer Elohim el Avraham, va'ata et briti, tishmor ata, bzarecha achrecha ledoratam. Zot briti, Asher tishmuru, beidi uvenechem, uven zarecha achrecha himol lechem, kol zachar, uni maltem et besar orlatchem, bahaya laot briti, beini uvenechem. Verse 12, starting right here. Uven shmonat yamim yimol lechem. Kol zachar lodoratechem, yalid bayit u miknat kesef mikol ben nechor asher lo mizarachahu. And starting at verse 13, himol yimol yalid betcha u miknat kaspecha vahaita briti bivsarachem livrit olam. And verse 14, Vorel zachar asher lo yimol et basar orlato venichata ha nefesh hahi mea meha et briti hefar. Okay, let's jump into some Greek. 
let's read the Galatians 5 passage. I've read this before in past um, meetings, in past sessions. I want to read this passage again, uh, Galatians 5, 1 through... Oh, let's go through about verse... Uh, let's take a look. Let's go through about verse 6. But let's read it out of the ESV first, and then I'll jump back over into the Greek. So, if you're looking at the screen, you'll see I'm on Galatians 5. And let's start in verse 1. It reads, quote, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circ circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Okay, let's go back and read some Greek. Jump over into the interlinear here. And we'll start over here on the left side of the page here. The Greek reads, Te eleutheria, hemas Christos eleutherosin, stekete un kai me palin zugo duleas inakeste, ide ego palas, lego human hati in peratemneste, Christos humas uden ophelese, marturomai de palin panti anthropo peratemnameno, hati. Ophelates est in Hallentan Naman Boyesai. And verse 4 Katergeta apo Christu hoitenes en namu dikai uste teis garatas exepesete. Hemais gar penumati ek pistios elpida dikaiosunes apectek gometha. Verse 6 En gar Christo Isu. Ute pertome di esque ute acrobustia, ala pistis di agapes in ergumene. Okay, that's our Greek, and let's um, let's talk about what we're going to study tonight. The topic is entitled Brit Mila, and for those of you who are joined to the live session tonight, you'll see that on your screen right now I've got my. Um, website pulled up, teitsaitora.com, and I'm just going to pull the notes straight from the Galatians study that I've uploaded right to my own website. You can always visit me on the web at two places. You can go to www.graftedin.com. That is my home congregation website in Thornton, Colorado. Uh, even though I live in South Korea, I'm still a good standing member of uh, of Kehilat uh, Tunava, uh, the harvest in Colorado. So I encourage you to go to my graftedin.com website and visit my home congregation site there. You'll find lots of good teaching from Pastor Mark McClellan. Uh, the audio sermons of the Sabbath services are uploaded, as well as you'll find all of my uh, Torah commentaries, Torah portion commentaries, and you'll find the Book of Galatians commentary there as well. Just look at the navigation menu along the very top, and you can click on whatever link is relevant for your interest there. The other place that you can find me on the web is my own personal Torah teaching website at www.tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H, tetzetorah.com. Many people ask me, what does Tetzetorah stand for? Uh, the word Tetzetorah, the phrase Tetzetorah is Hebrew for the Torah shall go forth, and it's taken from my theme verse of Isaiah 2-3, which reads, for out of Zion, Torah shall go forth. Ki mitzion teitzei Torah. Udavar Adonai mi Yerushalayim. That's Isaiah 2, verse 3. So teitzei Torah means Torah is going forth. So I hope that you can visit me on the web there. If you go to teitzeitorah.com, along the very top, there's a menu section, and you'll find the links for all the Torah commentaries, Genesis through Deuteronomy, as well as the um, current Torah portion for the week, and then the Galatians commentary is there, and also 
some of my other commentary features as well, my questions and answers with eBible, congregational info. And if you'd like to help support my ministry, there's a donate link as well. So if you're looking at the live study right now, then you'll see that I've got my Tetzay Torah website pulled up. And um, right, we're on the, we're on the uh, Brit Milah study page. So let's just scroll down through the study and start reading. I'm going to um, cover as much as I can tonight. I don't imagine that I'm going to get through the entire Brit Milah um, section. This is section one of the Galatians commentary that has 12 topical sections, and then we move into what I call the Galatians commentary proper. If you'll recall from reading the um, table of contents, there are uh, there was a preface with the 10 common questions regarding uh, Torah observance for Gentile Christians, and then we moved uh, into the introduction, which was just a very brief one page. And all of that took about seven weeks to move from the preface and through the introduction. Now we're beginning week eight with this um, first topical section called Brit Milah. And um, you'll see that it covers a good amount of information. And then uh, once we meet again for week nine, we'll either be uh, still in Brit Milah or we might jump to the next section, which is called Ouch Factor, Why the Male Reproductive Organ. Don't know. We'll see how far we can get in today's lesson or tonight's session. By the way, let's date stamps this recording. I didn't say so earlier into the recording. I don't believe I did. Uh, for most of you around the world, who, if you're, if you're joining with me live tonight, then today is probably Tuesday evening, December 1st, 2015. However, if you're on my side of the world, which is South Korea, then it is actually Wednesday morning, uh, December 2nd, 2015. So again, you're always welcome to join us live every Tuesday evening from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And if you have any questions, you can either email me, um, go to my website at tatesaytora.com, and just uh, scroll to the very bottom of the page and click on the email icon and shoot me an email. Or from the website at the very top, there is a banner that's um, kind of orange, or maybe it's golden yellow, and it says Live Internet Glacian Study. Join us Tuesday nights from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. CST. And you can click that banner for more details on how to join the live studies. Okay? Let's get started. Brit Milah, section one. Let me read a paragraph and then I'll just stop and explain what I mean by the paragraph if it needs explanation. If not, I'll just keep going. The book of Galatians contains an important rebuke and admonition to first century Israel and to the Gentiles living among her in the region known as Galatia. Among its central topics mentioned, circumcision surely occupies a good deal of the Apostle's foundational hermeneutic principles. He who unlocks the meaning behind Paul's use of the term circumcision, the Hebrew for uh, uh, covenant of circumcision is Brit Milah, he who unlocks the meaning, unlocks the meaning of the rest of the letter itself. In order to properly see circumcision the way Paul saw it, we must, take off, we must take our cue not from the rabbis of the day or even from the pastors of today, but from the Torah first, the very same way that Paul did. And in the end, if the views of the rabbis and pastors of today line up with what the Torah teaches, then all is well and good. Let me read the second paragraph as well, and then I'll um, kind of explain a little bit. Paul took a survey of the first century Israel's current social understanding of circumcision, and he immediately spotted a problem in her historical approach and application to covenant status. Paul knew that circumcision was first given to Papa Abraham way back in Genesis 17, and that its location in the narrative was key to properly understanding and applying its covenantal meaning. Paul then set out to allow the Holy Spirit to masterfully utilize this wonderful covenant sign as a didactic teaching for his readers in Galatia. Given the fact that his immediate readers lived in the exact same social setting as him, we can only assume that they better understood his use of this term when it shows up in his letter to them. Unfortunately, since successive generations of Bible readers are understandably removed from that first century Jewish social context, arguably we stand a greater chance of misunderstanding his term 
without the help from the Genesis narrative. To be sure, if we want to see what Paul saw, we have to start with Abraham also. Okay, let me pause for a moment and just kind of explain where I'm going with this com- with this particular piece of the commentary. I've entitled these, this particular study Brit Milah, and as I explained, the Hebrew Brit Milah literally means covenant of circumcision. The two words are made up like this. Brit is the Hebrew word for covenant, and Milah is... Uh, is a word that implies circumcision, but it co- because it comes from the the Hebrew verb uh, mul, which means to circumcise. So the noun would be milah, and thus we get brit milah, which means covenant of circumcision. Um, what I have found, if I study through Paul's writings, is that he uses circumcision as a kind of a metonym, and what I mean by metonym is it's a it's a stand-in word. It's a um, a metonym is a substitutionary word. So we, when we don't want to say one word, we say a different word that means the first word. We don't want to use word A. We use word B. But really, B means word A. We could have easily chosen word A, but instead, we for stylistic reasons, we have chosen to use word B. So quite often in Paul's letters especially when he's speaking from a technical, sociological perspective, instead of saying the word Jewish or Judaism, Jewish identity or Jewish ethnicity or Jewish people, something along the lines of Jewish, he'll sometimes use the word circumcision or circumcised. Um, For instance, um, in some of the writings of the New Testament, you'll find the phrase, you'll find uh, the writing saying something like, uh, Peter was sent to the uncircumcised and Paul was, I'm sorry, Peter was sent to the circumcised and Paul was sent to the uncircumcised. We're going to find that in the book of Galatians a little later on. What is the text actually saying to us? Well, most of us already know it's saying that Paul, Peter was sent to the uh, Jews when it says circumcised and Paul was sent to the Gentiles when it says uncircumcised. But you see here, the Greek, the, um, the writer is, is just using uh, metonymy, metonyms. He's substituting word A for word B. Instead of saying Jews and Gentiles, he's saying uncircumcised. I'm saying he's saying circumcised and uncircumcised, respectively. So that's all that's going on. That's what I wanted to kind of highlight, first of all, in the text. However, um, the use of metonym in the writings is not, is not going to give us the complete meaning of the word. Um, to be sure, most of us know that circumcision simply refers to the surgical act of removing the foreskin of the male. And for Judaism, for Jews, as was commanded in the Genesis passage that I just read, Genesis 17, for Abraham, for Jewish people, or at least for those of Israel who are males, this particular act was commanded to be done for baby boys when they're eight days old. Now, of course, Abraham didn't have that luxury. God told him to circumcise himself when he was already older. When, in fact, what did the text say? When he was 99 already. So he's older. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, when he was already an older person, when he was already an adult. So for him, it was quite painful. I'm, I'm pretty sure that for eight-day baby, eight-day-old baby boys, even if there is pain associated with it, which surely there is, um, we don't remember it. I mean... I was circumcised when I was a baby, and I don't remember a thing. So, you know, thank goodness, right, Baruch Hashem, that Hashem, God, has uh, chosen to uh, have us do this to ourselves when we're babies. Otherwise, boy, talk about trauma, right? Anyway, what I'm trying to um, imply in my study here is that the word circumcision itself, when we go back and start studying it as it impacted Paul's readers, is we need to remember that it carries with it the surgical act, and that it also carries with it the meaning of it. The meaning of the word also carries with it the um, the the metonym, the the, meton- the metonymy, the metonym, the um, substitutionary meaning. Meaning, it's a stand-in word. So that's what I first wanted to bring to our attention. Now let's keep going in the commentary, and I'll explain the rest. The implied meaning of the term Brit Milah is covenant of circumcision. Now, why does Judaism refer to circumcision as a covenant? Why do they even use this phrase? The phrase Brit Milah doesn't actually show up in the text. We find Brit and we find Milah or Mul. Uh, but we don't actually find these two words together, Brit Milah. So why does Judaism call it Brit Milah? 
I believe that this acts reveals the Torah's intentions to speak to the uncircum I'm sorry, to the circumcised male about his responsibilities, his covenant responsibilities, in helping to bring about the truth that Hashem and Hashem alone can bring the previously mentioned promises of Abraham to come to pass. So let us examine the details of the previously mentioned um, narrative with Abraham. So if you recall from my liturgy this evening, I already brought in the Genesis 17 narrative. But that's not where the dialogue between Abraham and God began, right? If you recall from um, studying your Torah, you know that God and Abraham already had this ongoing relationship. They began way back in Genesis chapter 12. So let's go back there and find out how this bears relevance for our study in the book of Galatians. And what we're going to find, as I'm kind of giving it away in advance, what we're going to find is that Paul, when he's when he launches into his didactic teaching about the true nature of the covenant of circumcision and its relevance for Jews and Gentiles of his day, Paul centers his theology on the promises made with Abraham, the responses of Abraham to those promises and to the covenant responsibilities that God was imposing on Abraham. And what Paul does is he uses Abraham as the exemplar, the model, the example of genuine faith and genuine faithfulness among both Jews and Gentiles who are being called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. Okay, So we're going to borrow Paul's notes, as it were, the ones that didn't get, uh, the, not all the ones that got included, as I like to think, into his book of Galatians, but we're going to pa st use Paul's study notes. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis, and we're going to try and start putting our mind into the pattern of what Paul might have thought as Paul poured through the Genesis narrative again in order to prep his letter to the book of Galatians. You know, every good teacher prepares his sermon in advance. He prepares his teaching in advance. I, at least I do. Um, and I know that Paul was a good teacher, so I'm sure he prepared in advance. And in his preparation, he surely went back through the Genesis narrative like we're going to go to uh, ourselves. And he began to let the Holy Spirit show him afresh what did this narrative reveal about genuine faith and genuine faithfulness. And how did it bear relevance for Jews and Gentiles of Paul's day. And if we can first uncover the true meaning or a better understanding of what it meant to Paul in his day, then obviously we're going to have a better chance of explaining the ongoing relevance for our communities today, right? That's the best hermeneutic principle when you're studying scripture. Start with what it meant to them first, and then launch from there to what it means to you. Don't start with what it means to you, Start with what it meant to them, and then pray about what it means to you, okay? So, looking at my commentary, let's pick up the reading right in the middle of the page there. The Torah says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and this quote is from David Stern's Complete Jewish Bible, quote, Now Adonai said to Avram, Get yourself out of your country, away from your kinsmen, and away from your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great, and you are to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse anyone who curses you, and by you all the families of the earth will be blessed. End quote. The opening monologue from Hashem, that is God, containing both directives and promises, is packed with some very important facts that affect every man, woman, and child who will be born from here on out. To be sure, it still affects everyone today. Later on in Genesis chapter 17, we find God instructing Abraham, which is Abraham, concerning circumcision. Amazing that God would select that part of the body to demonstrate a most wonderful spiritual truth to both Abraham and the entire world. Equally amazing to me is that even at such an old age, Abraham did not question God's reasons behind this somewhat strange covenantal sign. However, important by way of theology and chronology is the fact that Abraham was pronounced as being righteous in Bereshit in Genesis chapter 15. Shaul makes no small mention of the Genesis 15 incident in his letters. So let's scroll up a little bit or scroll down. Um, 
And let's begin to talk about Paul's use of bringing in the Genesis narrative. And the reason I started with Genesis 12 is because I want you to see that that's where God actually called Abraham out and uh, began to uncover, I'm sorry, begin to reveal his plans and purposes to Abraham. Notice in the Genesis 12 narrative that God didn't say right out of the gate, Hi, Abraham, I'm God. I want you to circumcise yourself so that we can get things going, so we can get the ball rolling. So Abraham, first, get yourself circumcised first. Abraham, hey, hello, hello, Abraham, do I have your attention? Get yourself circumcised first, and then we can talk. Is that what the Genesis 12 narrative says? No. And why is that important for our study of Galatians? Because as Paul is going to notice, circumcision wasn't the chief goal of God's dealings with Abraham. And why is that important to Paul? I'll just go ahead and give you the hint right up front and and kind of tip my hand to you. It's because in Paul's day, the Jewish people, Jewish Israel to be sure, had put circumcision before um, they had put circumcision as the end-all, be-all part of the covenant. In other words, you've heard the phrase cart before the horse. The Jewish people of Paul's day were taking circumcision and elevating it to the forefront of the matter. They believed that circumcision had become the primary covenant marker. It had become the identifier of the Jewish people, which is why it became a metonym in Paul's day, which is why it could be used as a stand-in word, a replacement word for Jewish identity, right? Sociologically speaking, those inside of Judaism and those outside of Judaism i.e. the Gentiles, they could speak of the Jewish people as the circumcised people, or they of the circumcision. And the reason they could do that is because of Judaism's preoccupation and Judaism's um, uh, elevation of circumcision to the forefront of the matter. And that upset Paul, because when he read through the Genesis passages, he didn't find circumcision showing up until Genesis 17. And yet if it was so important... Why, does it sh- why doesn't it show up in Genesis 12? And you'll see where I'm going with this a little, uh, in a bit. But let's go back to the commentary. Let's read Romans 4.3. This is, of course, Paul. Quote, For what does the Tanakh say? Abraham put his trust in God, and it was credited to his account as righteousness. End quote. Now, given its location within Paul's arguments, both from Romans and Galatians, it's clear that the phrase, is referring to imputed righteousness, that is, positional or forensic right standing with Hashem. For Paul, it is axiomatic that Moshe describes this quality chronologically before Abraham receives the covenant of circumcision in Bereshit chapter 17. This bespeaks of the correct order in which to appropriate the covenant responsibilities of God, that is, on the micro, on the smaller level, saving faith in God, symbolized by God accrediting his account as righteous. Uh, the Hebrew for righteous is tzedakah, and you'll see why I highlighted that in a moment. The Hebrew, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, God accrediting his account as righteous precedes the patriarch's obedience to the sign of circumcision. On the macro, on the larger level, if we were to compare smaller to larger, that is micro to macro, on the macro, the covenant of Abraham precedes the covenant with Moshe. Give me a moment here. My microphone's pinching my ear. There we go. Um, so uh, what I'm trying to impl- what I'm trying to teach here is what I'm, what I'm trying to um, highlight in the text and using my commentary, is that as Paul began to read through the Genesis narrative in preparation or in anticipation of what his readers are going to um, interact with when he pins his his letter to the book of Galatians, I believe that Paul found it necessary to highlight the fact that from the Genesis perspective, God declared Abraham as righteous before he asked him to be circumcised. Now, I didn't read the Genesis 15 narrative in my liturgy, and I didn't even really turn to it in my study just yet, but you can see that I'm hinting at that. Um, Genesis chapter 15 is where we're going to go if I were to... Uh, well, I don't I don't mention it in this particular um, part of my commentary just yet, but um, I'll just tell you in advance. 
in Genesis 15, verse 6, uh, Paul, uh, Moses says that, um, and he believed in the Lord, and it was credited to his account as righteousness. That's God writing through the, the pen of Moses of Moshe and explaining to us, we the readers, Paul included, that God counted Abraham as righteous based on Abraham's faith in the word of the Lord, in the promised word of the Lord. You can go back and read the Genesis 15 narrative again for yourself. We're going to highlight this later on in the commentary, so don't feel that I've left it out. It's simply that it's not where I'm um, focusing on the commentary at the moment. But it is going to be fleshed out later on into the into the uh, Galatians commentary. But I simply want you to know in advance right now that Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. Genesis 12 comes before 15, obviously. Now that's the chronological order. Genesis 12, then 15, then 17. And for our purpose of study, particularly the book of Galatians, we need to remind ourselves that Paul would have been aware of this chronological order. He would have known as he read through the Genesis narratives again that Abraham was called out to be a covenant partner with God in Genesis 12 and that God then recognized that Abraham's faith had matriculated and had been birthed, as it were, in his encounter with the promised word of the Lord in Genesis 15. And then in Genesis 17, after Abraham had slept with Hagar in Genesis 16, by the way, in Genesis 17, that's where God commands Abraham to receive the covenant of circumcision, Brit Milah. And so it's important to remind ourselves as we're studying the book of Galatians that this is the narrative flow. This is the direction that Paul would have taken his theology from. And what would Paul have walked away from as he read through the narrative? He would have seen that genuine faith in Genesis 15 came first, and then genuine faithfulness or obedience to to faith came second. Are you seeing that now? Faith came first, Genesis 15, and faithfulness or obedience came second, Genesis 17. To use church parlance, we could say justification came first in Genesis 15, and sanctification came second in Genesis 17. And I want you to remember that as we move through the book of Galatians and remind ourselves, particularly when we get to Genesis, uh, Galatians chapter 3, we're going to get a lot of mileage out of this justification, sanctification principle and getting the order correctly. And why is it so important to Paul? Why is it so important to Paul? All right, well, let's look at it here. Picking up the reading in my commentary here, um, we're at the paragraph right there. If you're in the live class, I'm starting with the word thinking there. Thinking from a 21st century Western mindset, one might presume that since God declared Abraham righteous already, that's the Hebrew word tzedakah, since God declared him righteous already, any added covenantal sign might prove to be superfluous. Avraham, and apparently God, thought otherwise, right? And what am I doing here? I'm actually kind of uh, lovingly poking a jab at the Christian theology today that teaches that now that we have faith in Jesus, we don't really need circumcision. Now that we have faith in Jesus, we don't really need Torah obedience. In fact, that's how the church has interpreted the theology down through the ages, right? For the last 2,000 years or so, at least from the time of the Reformation. Um, now that faith in Jesus has come, circumcision really is, is unneeded. It's unnecessary. We don't need circumcision anymore. Apparently, however, if Abraham was counted as righteous, tzedakah, if Abraham became a tzaddik, if God saw him and declared him as righteous in Genesis 15, why then would God ask him to be circumcised? Apparently then, obedience is an important part of justification, correct? From a Torah perspective, it is apparent to us that God felt that sanctification be added to justification, meaning Abraham was saved when he was when his faith was birthed in Genesis 15, but his sanctification or his ongoing sanctification, I should say, was an ingredient of his obedience, or obedience was an ingredient of his sanctification. And that's the point I'm trying to make. I'm not trying to say that sanctification was necessary for justification. In other words, I'm not trying to say that obedience is 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 necessary in order to be genuinely saved. What I am saying, however, is that the genuinely saved person will always be obedient, genuinely obedient. 
and that I believe is the principle that's spelled out in the Torah from Genesis all the way to Revelation, is that genuine salvation or genuine faith, genuine justification, will always, always be accompanied by genuine obedience or genuine sanctification. Okay? So justification and sanctification are struck to the same coin. They're two sides of one coin. Justification on one side, sanctification on the other side. Or... Uh, Faith and faithfulness are also struck to the same coin. Same thing. I'm saying the same thing. So in other words, to be saved means to be sanctified. To be saved means to be obedient. And you're always going to have those two working together. Two sides of the same coin. Let's continue. Uh, let's see. Where did I leave off? To neglect circumcision or brit milah is to neglect the chosen sign of the covenant. And consequently, it is rejection of the covenant itself. Now, why did I say that in my commentary? Let's jump back over to Genesis 17 and you'll see why. Um, using the Genesis 17 passage that I, I quoted in my um, liturgy this evening, you'll see that in verse 14, if I have it pulled up here on the screen, uh, verse 14 says that and I'm just going to kind of woodenly translate back over from the Hebrew over into English, since if you look at the page, you'll see that it's a uh, interlinear translation, which means it's word for word. And verse 14, word for word from the Hebrew would say something like, and the uncircumcised male who not has been circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, then shall be cut off person that from his people, my covenant he has broken. Right? So God is saying to us that if you do not become circumcised, that the covenant that God is making with you as a people group becomes broken and you become, you put yourself in a position of being cut off. Venichrata. And um, we don't want to be in a position of venichrata, right? That person shall be cut off. God says, et briti hefar. This this covenant that we break if we don't allow ourselves to become circumcised, it is essentially a sign of our disobedience. It really points back to a sign of lack of faith. Because if we had strong enough faith, we would then accept obedience. We would walk into obedience. And some people would say, Ariel, you're being a bit too harsh. Are you trying to say that if I, a Gentile Christian, do not become circumcised, that my faith is lacking? Well, I'm not saying that. However, I am saying that if you continue to press forward in your faith with God, in your obedience to God, then the Holy Spirit just might, just might, it's not my call, it's God's call, the Holy Spirit just might challenge you concerning the covenant of circumcision. And you and the Holy Spirit need to work that out. That's all I can say on that matter. But suffice to say, when God approached Abraham in Genesis 17 and commanded him to be circumcised, I'm sure Abraham could have said to God, uh, time out, God. I'm being funny here, okay? So just allow me, allow my humor. Time out, God. In Genesis 15, you already declared me as righteous, credited to me as righteousness. You called me a tzaddik, right? Tzedakah, remember that Hebrew word, God? So why do I need to take on circumcision? I'm already righteous, God. How will circumcision add to my righteousness, God? Will it make me more righteous? God, please explain this to me. Now, God doesn't actually fill in all the details in Genesis 17. He doesn't tell him that this will make you more righteous or less righteous. What we do know is that God explains to him that the, the covenant of circumcision becomes a sign of the covenant that God already had, had with him. It doesn't make him a covenant member. It simply becomes the sign of, an, of his existing covenant membership, Right? Let's go back and look at that again. Let me um, pull up this passage in the uh, ESV just so that we can see it here. So I've changed. If you're looking at the screen, you'll see I've uh, switched over to the ESV. Uh, starting in verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. Keep my covenant? You and your offspring after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So I think what Moses is doing is he's he's explaining to us that Abraham, and we, ha we wouldn't have known this unless we went back and read 
already, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. But Abraham is already a covenant partner with God. And God now is bringing circumcision in to show that he is a covenant member, to give him a sign, and um, a sign of the existing covenant. And the sign of circumcision is something that Abraham's going to carry with him forever, right? Once he does the snip, snip, ouch, ouch, right? Once he gets circumcised, that's it. It's a one-way trip. He can't go back. And I believe God intended that for a reason, because I think the Torah teaches us, in fact, I'm quite sure, that when we enter into a covenant with God, our responsibilities to the covenant really should be forever. They should be perpetual. To be sure, the sign itself is perpetual, right? Look at Genesis 17, verse um, 13. It says, Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant, brit olam, brit covenant, olam, forever, an everlasting covenant. Now, what's really neat about this verse, uh, verse 13, is that Moshe tells Abraham that the covenant of circumcision is a forever covenant. It's a forever sign. That alone tells us that the church's view that circumcision was uprooted in Christ or uh, done away with in Christ doesn't square with the text. It really doesn't agree with what Moshe would say when it comes to it being an everlasting covenant. So I think it does damage to the text when we preach that circumcision was done away with in Christ, that Paul taught that circumcision was done away with, because it disagrees with Moses right here in Genesis chapter 17, verse 13. Right. Also, we're going to find out later that Paul is accused, if we read through the book of Acts, say, first, uh, chapter 21, Paul is accused of teaching the Jewish people not to circumcise their males anymore. And in Acts 21, we find, I'm just pulling this out of memory, in Acts 21, we find that James and the other Jerusalem leaders explain to Paul that in order to squash this rumor that Paul is teaching that people, that Jewish men don't have to circumcise themselves anymore, or get themselves circumcised, allow themselves to be circumcised by their parents when they're babies, right? As if the baby has any say in the matter, you know, at eight days old, what's he supposed to do? Throw his hands up and say, stop, stop, don't do it, please, don't do this anymore. Circumcision is done away with in Christ. No, that's, a, that's ridiculous, of course. But the rumor is that Paul was teaching that circumcision was no longer valid, no longer necessary, because of the finished work of Messiah. Something that Christianity today is teaching, unfortunately. And what did the um, leadership in Paul's day explain to Paul? They said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to prove, we want you to vindicate your status uh, your stance on Torah relevance. We want you to prove that circumcision is still valid for today, and we want you to go through with the vow that you've undertaken with these four men, go to the temple, bring the sacrifices, have your, have your head shaven, and prove that there's nothing to these rumors, but that you yourself keep in line with Torah, that you yourself remain Torah faithful, Torah obedient. And so we could take our cue from the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts chapter 21, but we could also take our cue from Moses in Genesis chapter 17. And what is that cue? That cue is that circumcision is still relevant. That's all I have to say on that matter. <laughs> right, that's not all I have to say on that matter, but that's all I'm going to talk about tonight. So let's jump back over into my commentary and pick up the reading and see if I can continue to explain why I'm bringing out circumcision for our study of Galatians. Abraham did not hesitate to circumcise both himself as well as the males of his household. Looking forward at its effect in the biblical narratives, we learn that it was to become a unique marker, outwardly identifying those males of the offspring of Abraham as inheritors of the magnificent promises that Hashem was making with this man. It did not, nor does it now, serve to secure those promises through personal effort. What is more, the sign of circumcision was to be an indicator that all subsequent male covenant participants were adopting the same faith that Abraham possessed. Obviously, it was incumbent upon the faithful father to pass this sign on to his son, 
eight-day-old baby boys do not circumcise themselves. The promises were of faith. Read Romans chapter 4 carefully. To be 100% sure, the Torah says that the promises were given to him before he was circumcised. That's again from Romans 4. Read verses 10 and 11. This is why after Hashem promised that his seed would be as numerous as the stars, in Genesis 15 verses 5 and 6, Abraham was credited with being righteous because he believed the unbelievable. And I think I'll stop there in the commentary. And next week we'll start with this paragraph entitled, or this paragraph where it starts out, with this foundational teaching in our arsenal. So, let's go back now and kind of review where I've gone in today's teaching, and tonight's teaching, so that we can understand the relevance of what I'm trying to get us to understand. Circumcision starts as a physical sign. God had cut a covenant with Abraham way back in Genesis 12 when he called him out of his uh, native country and told him to go to a place that he would show him and that he was going to make his name great and that he was going to be a blessing to all those around him and that he would be the father of a multitude of people groups. And this is Genesis 12. And as we move forward in the Genesis narrative, like Paul would have done, we encounter eventually, and I'm skipping chapters, I know, but I'm doing it for a reason. We jump to Genesis chapter 15, and in Genesis 15, we find that God and Abraham have an important meeting. And that's where the word of the Lord, the Davar Adonai, the word of the Lord, which is the word of God personified, kind of like a theophany, the word of the Lord shows up, visits Abraham, and explains this covenant promise all over again. And in the Genesis 15 narrative, we find that Moses, prompted by the Holy Spirit, of course, the Ruach HaKodesh, writes that, that God saw into Abraham's heart, and God accredited Abraham with genuine saving faith. That's the kicker. Now, the Genesis narrative doesn't say saving faith. We gain that perspective from reading through Paul a little later on, where we find the phrase, credited to him as righteousness, and the quotes from the Genesis 15, 6 passage. So we know that in Genesis 15, Abraham's faith is coming to a zenith as he is encountering and dialoguing and interacting with God on this word of the Lord basis. In other words, Abraham's faith is cast specifically on the word of the Lord in that particular encounter. I want you to go back as your homework assignment this week and read Genesis 15 very carefully again. And you'll see that that's what I'm describing. And so Paul catches that. Paul sees that. And that becomes the trigger for Paul to start to develop his theology of credited as righteousness. How does one become a righteous person? How does one become a tzaddik? Or how does one achieve tzedakah or tzedakah, right? How does one become that? How does a person become saved is really what Paul's asking. And we know that the genuine gospel was given to Abraham way back in the Genesis narrative. We know this because Paul says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. And this is how we're going to have to see it. We don't have God telling Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, Hey, Abraham, if you want to be saved... Believe in my son. His name is Jesus. That's not what God says. But we know it's genuine faith because Moses said that God accredited his account as righteousness. And we know that that phrase is a reference to the genuine saving faith, the justifying faith that God accounts to a person when their faith is uh, birthed within the specifics that God shows to a person. In other words, when um, the saving faith in a person's heart is recognized by God, or God grants them that saving faith. So Paul is going to launch from that and keep moving towards the the Genesis narratives that speak about physical circumcision. Now, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this particular chapter, if you're looking at the screen now, it is the first chapter where I um, reminded you that the first century Jewish people, the first century Israelites had taken circumcision and, in essence, removed it from its mere physical aspect and elevated it to a social status. The Jewish people of Paul's day had taken circumcision 
and given it a social status among themselves so that they could call themselves the circumcision. Now, on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with um, identifying yourself by any particular unique um, specifier. In other words, I'm not saying that inherently it's wrong. It was wrong for the Jewish people to call themselves the circumcised and to identify themselves as circumcised people just by using that single phrase. I'm not saying it's 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 um, essentially wrong to have done that. What I am saying is that the those of Israel who had not yet accepted genuine faith the way that Abraham did, those in Israel who had mistakenly substituted genuine faith in God with faith in their ethnic status or faith in their social status as Jews, that was where the error was going to cause Paul a lot of consternation. And that's where we're going to get the most mileage out of studying the book of Galatians from its historical and sociological context. We're going to have to understand that when Paul is writing to the Galatian Jews and Gentiles, and he's warning those Galatian Jews and Gentiles, for instance, say, when I read Galatians chapter 5, as I pull it up on the screen here, Galatians chapter 5, let me jump over to the ESV so you can just see it in English here instead of the Greek. When we read that Paul says, uh, for instance, in verse 2, look, I, Paul, tell you, this is Galatians 5, 2, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no, of no advantage to you. And I testify that anyone who accepts circumcision, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. Circumcision in these verses doesn't merely mean the physical uh, act of removing the foreskin anymore. Paul's not saying that, I tell you that if you merely become physically circumcised, that Christ will be of no advantage to you. That can't be what Paul's saying. And the reason we know that can't be what Paul's saying is because that would cut against the Torah itself. That would mean that God commanded Moshe to, I'm sorry, yeah, God commanded Moshe to instruct Israel to circumcise their sons, but then Paul somehow gleaned, as you can hear the irony in my statement, um, the sarcasm in my voice, Paul somehow gleaned this information from Jesus, I suppose, that circumcision is actually opposed to the work of Christ. Now, how can that be? That can't be. Because that would pit God the Father against Jesus the Son. How so? It would have God commanding circumcision to Israel, but then Jesus discouraging circumcision to the church. And that's a dichotomy that Paul is not going to set up. So in order for us to properly understand Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, where Paul is telling us that circumcision is is uh, in, a, in opposition to the work of Christ, or it, that circumcision is of no advantage to you, um, and that Christ will be of no advantage to you if you accept circumcision. What we have to understand is that, um, in closing here, that Paul is actually explaining the sociological phenomenon where circumcision in Paul's day was being misused as a social banner, I'm sorry, a social badge, a a um a what did I how did I describe it last week a uh, a line of demarcation a boundary marker it was being used as a social boundary marker to set the Jewish people apart as the only righteous ones that God recognized that's essentially what Paul is driving at that's where he's going to start getting the most traction in his letters is he has to start combating the mistaken Jewish notion present in his day that merely being Jewish or merely belonging to the people group known as Israel by way of ethnic status, by way of Jewish uh, identity, by way of circumcision, right? Merely being Jewish did not guarantee that one was credited as righteous, that one was a righteous covenant member. In other words, it did not guarantee that one was saved. And that's where I'm going to be going to go in my commentary. That's why we have to start with the book of Genesis when we study the book of Galatians, in my opinion. If we simply open up the book of Galatians and assume that Paul is saying that physical circumcision 
and and that alone, if Paul, if we assume that Paul is teaching that physical circumcision is a will, will disrupt the work of Christ, if you become circumcised, Christ is of no effect or of no advantage to you, and that if you accept circumcision, you're obligated to keep the whole law, and that you're severed from Christ. If we just assume that physical circumcision severs us from Christ, then we have done damage to the scriptures. We've done damage to the Genesis narrative where God um, instructs Abraham to circumcise he and all the males in his household. We do damage to the later Leviticus passage that we're going to read about where Moshe instructs the people of Israel to have their eight-day-old baby boys circumcised. We do damage to the history of Israel as a people group who have upheld this covenant because God told them to continue to do it for generation after generation. Remember? Brit Olam. We do damage to that legacy of, um, of obedience to the commandment, obedience to the covenant. And we do damage to Paul's letters here in Galatians chapter 5 if we simply assume that circumcision only means physical circumcision. It does not. It does not merely mean that. It does include that, but it doesn't merely stop there. So I'll leave you uh, leave off with that particular uh, cliffhanger. Um, you know, why even choose that particular body part, God? Why did you have to go there is what the males would say, right? And so if you look at my um, commentary, if you're looking at the screen, um, eventually we're going to get to this particular section down here. Ouch factor, why the male reproductive organ. But next week, we're going to continue speaking about this issue of circumcision and its relevance for Paul's teachings. So for now, for those of you who are in the live study, I'm going to, um, I'm sorry, for those of you who are following this commentary by way of the uh, uh, podcast that was recorded after the fact, I'm going to dismiss in prayer. And for those in the live study, you're certainly welcome to stay for the next 15 or so minutes uh, for the live Q&A chat with me here in the uh, live chat room, and I'll entertain questions or comments for you. It's a feature that's available only to those who are following the commentary live. I want to, before I close, again, um, just thank you all for participating with me in these particular live studies. I know it's a hassle for some of you, or it's a challenge, or it's a, um, it's a, uh, um, what do we say? It's it's a blessing to me, to be sure. It's um, a commitment, it's the word I was looking for, to come out and meet me for an hour on a Tuesday evening. And I know that not everyone can make that commitment. And so I am thinking about uh, perhaps maybe um, looking at other evenings that might be better open, better suited uh, for those of, or for your schedules and things like that in the weeks to come or months to come. We'll see. I'll probably end up putting an, out an email and sending out a survey uh among my readership and see what particular might might be uh, the best night maybe to meet so that I can better meet your schedules. But I'm blessed to have you all come out and join me 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, Tuesday evenings uh, for this live internet Galatian study. Set your schedule, set your calendar if you can, and join me. Let's close in prayer. Avino Malkinu, our Father, our King Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. First and foremost, God, I thank you that you have shown yourself faithful to us, that you have shown yourself faithful and reliable to our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Yaakov, to Moshe, that you have demonstrated your faithfulness by sending your son, Yeshua, to die for us, to send his spirit into our hearts so that we can cry, Abba, Father. We thank you, Father, that you have drawn us close to yourself, that you have uh, rescued us from darkness, that you are bringing us into your kingdom, and that you are revealing the words of your Torah to us. We thank you for the faithfulness of your covenants. We thank you that they are steadfast. We thank you that your words are steadfast and true, and that they are reliable. Even after all this time, your words will never pass away. And so we hide them in our heart that we might not sin against thee, that we might be pleasing to thee. Thank you, Hashem, for drawing us close to yourself. For we know that left to ourselves, we won't draw close to you because of our propensity, because of our proclivities, because of our waywardness, because of our stubbornness, because of our fear, because of our trepidation. Father, 
It requires you to continue to draw us close by your spirit, draw us with cords of love. Help us to be bold in our witness. Help us to be strong and courageous as we share the good news with those around us, as we continue to encourage our friends and family members to dive into the text, to study in order to teach, in order to study in order to do, in order to teach, like Ezra says. Help us to be faithful in our witness. Help us to be unashamed of the Master, of Jesus, to be bold, to let our light shine in this ever-present darkness. Thank you for all of the students who joined me tonight and those who are joining me by way of internet after the fact. I pray that you'll continue to bless them where they're at, meet their needs, raise them up, heal them, make them whole, cause them to be strong, cause them to be courageous in their witness. Help them to be lights in their own sphere of influence. Thank you, Father, for revealing the text to me as well, for I need lots and lots of help as a Torah teacher. Bring us back together next week. Lord, help us to be safe in our journeys away from one another. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for all these things. And for those of you who are listening by way of internet, I say to you, I'll see you next week. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>